0: Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White.
1: We're going to be in Revelation chapter 12 today, so if you'd like to turn there, that would be just great. Last week... We read in Revelation chapter 11 the greatest message that heaven and earth has been waiting for. As a matter of fact, from the time of the fall, whether that's the fall of man or the fall of the angels, doesn't matter. From the time of those falls, and I guess I'll say it plural, from the time of those falls, the hope has been that God would restore the kingdom of God. The prayers have been that God would restore the kingdom of God. Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's been the longing of people that the kingdom of God would finally be restored to its proper relationship. Because of the usurpation that taken place earlier by Satan, the one we call Satan, the, the, the serpent, the, whatever the term we like to use for that one, right after that usurpation took place, And he made it clear that by his recruitment, by his merchandising of himself, by his, if you can, marketing plan, he would win the nations to himself. He did. What we saw last week was the greatest message ever proclaimed, that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Christ and his, Lord, our Lord and his Christ. I know that doesn't sound like much to us, but that was a big deal. That was what the elders had been waiting for. That's what all the angels had been waiting for. That's what all the people who know who God is had been waiting for. The one big moment when God was going to finally make that transfer, that the Christ is now going to be the King of kings, the Lord of lords. That announcement was so big. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and when that trumpet sounded... All of heaven is going to pause just for a minute. The temple was open and everybody could see what the temple was and something's going to take place. For next two chapters, well, 12, 13, and 14, God is pulling us aside to let us have a parenthesis in our time. Before he's about to finish the final judgment, he wants to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Why am I doing this kingdom thing? Who is the opposition? What is this all about? That's chapters 12, 13, and 14. Remember when we said, don't read the book of Revelation as if it's a chronological fictional book? It's not. It doesn't go chronologically through anything. There are some steps that are chronological. But what we're about to read right now is taking us out of the chronology, and it's taking us back to give us the history. It's showing us who is the Antichrist that this thing's about. How did this happen to start with? What's going on? So that's what we're going to get to study for the next few weeks here. So if you would, Revelation chapter 12, turn there with me, and let's, let's take a look at this. It says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven, and he threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth and to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Now, kids, if we don't know this history, if we don't know this, then we're going to think that everything is down to our reductionist way of looking at the Bible. Our reductionist way is John three sixteen. As soon as we said John three sixteen, we don't need any of the rest of the Bible because the Bible says... That whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That means that if you died tonight, having trusted Jesus, you're going to go to heaven. That is the way we have reduced the gospel. You follow where I'm coming from? It's all about that. I I, I want you to know heaven is a beautiful place. Heaven is a wonderful place. But heaven is not your home. I think I've told you before, I've done many weddings here. And with with each of those weddings, the people come dressed in street clothes. But they're about to come here and be transformed. They're going to be beautiful. They're going to become handsome. They're going to be people they've not been before in their lives. But they're going to do so in dressing rooms here. So they're going to get off in those dressing rooms. They'll go to those dressing rooms, and they'll put on their tuxes here, and they'll put on, there and then somebody will come in and spray paint them, and somebody will come in and fix their hair, and, do all kinds of things for them to get them looking what they're going to be. Can I tell you something? They're looking for the wedding. They want to see that ceremony. But I got to tell you, that's not what they're hoping for. They love the ceremony. They're always glad to have the ceremony, but I've yet to see a groom who was saying, man, I hope we have a great ceremony today. Even the premarital counseling, when we talk about let's get the wedding together, I've only had one groom one groom in all the time I've been here who ever wanted to have anything to do with the ceremony whatever little lady wants that's what I want man you know this whatever she wants just do it. whatever you well are you you okay with this ceremony yeah whatever little lady wants that's what because he's not thinking about ceremonies he's thinking honeymoon if all I'm coming from He's past the ceremony. He's already thinking now, and both of them, if you would, are thinking ahead to what it's going to be like to be married for the next 50 years. They're looking forward to that marriage time because it's the marriage they're looking for. It's not the ceremony, though. So that's a cool deal. And it sure isn't the dressing room. Let me tell you this. Heaven is your dressing room. That's where you're going to change your garments. You're coming out of street clothes and you're going into the wedding garments because you're headed to a ceremony, a ceremony that'll be a lot like this one in which the groom is going to stand and say, I'm so glad you're here, sweetheart. Wait till you see what I got prepared for you. Why? Because we're looking for the marriage, right? We're looking for the years that we're going to be spending him. We're looking for eternity. That's what we're after. So when we reduce the gospel to say, do you want to go to heaven? That is saying, do you want to go to the dressing room? Because that's not what we're going for, kids. We're only going there for a little while, and we're on our way into a whole new restored heavens and earth that's going to be perfect. You are going to be perfect. Everything in it is going to be the way it's supposed to be. That's what we're looking for. And that's all got to do with this great story. I tell you, I can enjoy a good epic tale. I remember uh, when, when someone gave me The Hobbit, and I read The Hobbit. I was a senior, junior in college, something like that. And I read The Hobbit, and I thought, what a great tale. This is really a fantastic tale. I said, boy, if that guy's got anything else, let me know about him. They said, oh, he's got three more. Three more, I said. You've got to be kidding. No. The Fellowship of the Rings. And here was this epic tale about fairies and elves and dwarves and all of these. No no fairies in it. And hobbits and all, all kinds of things that were in it. This epic tale of battles that went on and all the... It pales, pales to the telling of this one. Kids, there is an epic struggle going on we don't wrestle against flesh and blood we wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness this age it is a big deal that's going on here it isn't just God taking you to heaven so you can sit and joy it is God restoring the heavens and the earth to the rule of his son the Lord Jesus Christ and here's how that story begins what we just read is how that story begins he saw a woman A woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, a garland of 12 stars on her head. She's with child, getting ready to have a child. She's ready to be delivered. And that's the sign that he sees her. So let's, let's do this. Here's our prologue for today. These chapters are showing us the plan of Satan to try to be like God in his obsession to rule the cosmos. This break will catch us up with who's doing what and the beginning of the end. Chapter 12, 1 through 17 is going to give us the broad details covering several thousand years from the birth of Christ to the second half of the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. So what we're about to read here is going to cover several thousand years. Everybody follow me? And it is a parenthesis. We've gotten here, I'm going to say here, here is where the seven-year tribulation is. Here's where it all began. Here's where the first three and a half years were. Amazing conversions to people to the Lord Jesus Christ. The the appearance of an antichrist that's coming up to to take over most of the world. He's taking over a lot of things in this. A lot of wonderful things happening. Two witnesses here that have have, have a ministry that uh, to. Uh, all the people who are in Jerusalem. A lot of great things are happening here Till you get to the middle of this tribulation where the Antichrist makes himself known, takes his seat in the temple in Jerusalem, and declares himself to be God who is to worship, be worshipped. And as that's taking place, now we have the seventh seal broken, and with that seventh seal, we've had the last of the seven trumpets of the angels. That's all right here. He has now taking a pause from all of that and he's going to tell us here's how it all began so he tells us about the woman who's about to have a child then he moves us up here and says and now i'm also going to tell you about this dragon and how he got upset which takes us all the way up here in the end of things everybody follow where we're at? so that's covering quite a few years wouldn't you see all right let's go for it there act one the fleshing out of Genesis 3.15 at warp speed, not pausing for the details. Genesis 3.15, let's take a look at that just a minute. You can, you can stay there. I'll go back and read Genesis 3.15, but make sure you've got, you know it's there. Please don't believe a thing I say if you can't back it up with the Word of God. If you don't see that it's there, then I'm just telling you another story today, kids. We don't need stories. We need truth. Amen? Genesis 3.15 makes this statement. And I will put enmity between you. This is what he's saying to the serpent. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That was a statement that was made to the serpent. So we're, we're seeing now Genesis 3.15 lived out because it's the seed of the woman that's about to be born. And we're going to see what is happening with that one. All right. Let's look at the major characters. Here in this uh, 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 Revelation 12, we've seen this woman. We're also now going to uh, take a look at the uh, dragon. Let's take a look at verse 3. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So the major characters are a woman, a dragon, and a male child born to the woman. Number two, the minor but important characters. The minor but important characters are the sun, the moon, the 12 stars. Minor but important are the third of the stars of heaven. Minor but important are the nations. And minor but important are the caretakers of refugee Israel. Let's see if I can explain that to you in just a moment. There's a second act in this drama, and it starts with verse 7. So would you take a look at that second act? Here we go. A war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short So major characters in this one are Michael and his angels, Satan and his angels, saints and the woman. Minor but important characters in this one are the fleeing local Israelis, all all others who have believed Messiah. Now that's me telling you what's going on in this passage. Let's break it down now and see if we can show you why we say that's what it is. This first section we're going to call the Messiah, his mother, and the murderer. All right. Messiah, his mother, and the murderer. This, first of all, let's go with calling this another great sign. So you just got to, for a moment, let's just see if we can be old John. John is here, and literally he is old. He's got to be around what, maybe around 90 years old at this time. So he's watching all of these things take place. He's seeing things people have never seen before. This is God's revelation that he gave to Jesus in order that John or Jesus could give it to John and John could give it to us. So we're reading what John got from Jesus. So this isn't John's clever imagination coming up, this is not his fictional writing. This is what Jesus was allowed to tell him about the future. This is what Jesus was allowed to tell, and he's often telling it in past tense about what the future is going to be. This is what's going to be happening here. All right, so it's another great sign that he's seeing here. And what he sees is an expectant woman in fantastic clothing. Turn with me to Genesis 37, 9 to 11. Genesis 37, 9 to 11. You have ever had any sort of jealousies in your home? You ever had any any child who felt like you treated so-and-so better than the other? You ever been to Smothers Brothers before where you know that mom always liked you better? In Genesis 37, we have, uh, I'll make sure I got the correct passage here, yes. Let's look at uh, verses 9 through 11. Joseph, the younger brother, not the youngest brother, but the younger brother, he has a dream. And they didn't like the first dream he had, so he says this, then he dreamed still another dream, verse 9 says, and told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bound down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I had and your your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you. And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. What a dream. Now, uh, Jacob obviously understands what the dream means. He sees what the dream is. And he says, look, son, do you mean that mom and I are going to bow before you with your brothers? You need to stop that. Okay. Now, in this, who's he seeing he is? He's the sun. His wife's the moon, and his brothers are the stars. This is the dream that's going on about the woman that we just read about. This is the fulfillment of that dream. So let's go back to Revelation 12 again, and let's remember this. It says that she's clothed with the sun. Let's take a look at that. In verse 12. 12, yeah, verse 1, now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the the moon under her feet, and on her um, head was a garland of 12 stars, so let's take a look at that just for a moment. This woman clothed with the sun, since the sun is Israel, and the moon is his mother, and the, the 12 stars are in there now, not 11, but 12 stars, because the 11 stars were bowing before Joseph. Now, we saw that fulfilled, didn't we? Uh, if you know anything about uh, how Israel got down to Egypt, you'll know what this is about, that uh, Joseph got sent down to Egypt ahead of time by, by means of his brothers betraying him and selling him off as a slave, but he wound up being the one who spared all of them, and yes, all of the family bowed before Joseph because Joseph was the one who could save them, but there was a bigger story to it than that. And that's this story you're about to see here. The, The sun is clothing this woman. The moon is under her feet, so mother and father are together. That's mom and dad of Joseph. But there are 12 stars in that garland. So now even Joseph is bowing before this one. So you've got the 12 stars. This woman is Israel. That's who this woman is. This woman is Israel. And she's ready to be delivered. And she delivers a male child. Let's take a look at what it says about that male child here. Let's uh, uh, go down to uh, verse 5. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Do we know of any male children or any males who have been born like this, who have um, uh, been caught up to God to heaven? Do we know of any that are supposed to rule the heavens and the earth or rule all the nations? Yeah, we do. Who is that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's get the picture. Israel, the woman, is giving birth to a Messiah. And that Messiah is going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And that Messiah was caught up to God. So that's who we're looking at. So this whole story is about God saving Israel, so let me go back in time again. God chose Abraham out of time, and he made Abraham his wife. He's making Abraham and the Israelites his wife. Over and over again, the scriptures talk about that, whether it's Hosea or it's it's, uh, any of the. He made a covenant agreement with Israel to be his wife because he's going to bring through Israel the Messiah. He's going to bring through that family line of Israel, and he keeps breaking it down even more. It's going to be in the family of Judah. It's going to be in the family of David. So that Messiah is going to be born from Israel. That is God's relationship with Israel, to bring forth a Messiah that's going to be Messiah for all nations. Not just Israel, but a Messiah for all nations. So she delivers that male child. So now I think, I hope I've established for you here that the woman is Israel. The child that was born was the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's look at the rest of it. The murderer is on hand to destroy the child being born. It says that uh, in verse three, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven diadems on his head. Uh, I want to stop right there just for a minute. That's a, uh, a good description and an identification. Let's see, can we find out who this is? Well, let's go to verse eight. They did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. Now, watch what he says. That great dragon was who? The serpent of old, called the devil and Satan. So now, now I'm going to ask you this. Back in the garden, we had Eve seeing something—a serpent described for us here as that serpent, uh, the Satan, the one who tempted the way who starts this whole mess that's going on here. She saw him to talk to him. Now, is she seeing a great fiery red dragon? No, she's not seeing a great fiery red dragon. What is she seeing? She's seeing a carabine. Now, kids, let's, let's make sure we're understanding this. The Garden of Eden Eden, is the temple of God. That's where the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of God met. That's where Adam and Eve, all the, all the human beings are going to meet, all the angelic beings are going to meet. This is the place of worship of God. So you have the angelic kingdom and the earthly kingdom, both in the Eden, both of them worshiping. What do caribbean look like? They are strange-looking creatures. The word cherubim and the word seraphim both mean burning, shiny things. They are fiery things. Matter of fact, the the cherubim and the seraphim are what you would see if you saw the pillar of fire. That's who they are. Uh, Some of them are said to have heads like ox. Some have heads uh, like eagles one like a man. There's, there's, some describe him having four heads, some describe the with one head. In other words, what I'm saying is Eve saw this creature, whatever it was, in that garden, whatever it looked like at that time, saw it in the garden, and it was not unusual to talk with it because that's where the whole divine council meets. Everybody follow me? That's God's temple area. That's where the government area is. This is where humans are going to meet. This is where they're going to meet with the caribbean, the the divine council, the sons of God. That's all what's going to happen right there, and God's on the throne of that. After he falls, his appearance becomes what you're seeing right there. Because now wickedness is found in his heart. Perversion is found in his heart. And that's changing the way he looks. How do you know that when people turn to a wicked way, it changes their appearance? You, you can sometimes know, you, you look at somebody and say, man, there's something wrong with him. He looked mean today. He just looked like something was really wrong with him today. What's in your heart winds up showing up on your face sometimes. And when that happens, you can know this. That's what happened here. What used to be a beautiful covering carob, according to Ezekiel 28, has now become this tortured character here, a great fiery red dragon. Now, the word that's used for dragon here is also the word for sea monster. I I don't know uh, what I think uh, the... um, isn't the Marvel Universe or one of, the, one of those universes there that talks about And something comes up out of the sea. I always forget the name of that thing, that nasty thing that comes up out of the sea that devours everything, destroys everything. Anybody know it? What is it? Yes. Oh, right. That thing comes up out of the sea. Why? Because people believe that what's in the sea is terrifying. That comes up out of the sea and it devours them. It will kill them. Ultimately, they they anticipate that there will be a monster coming from the sea that will just take everybody out. That's the word that's used for this. A dragon, a fearful, nasty beast. And it's done so that you will be afraid of him. Now, note he goes on to say, Great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Now that's, uh, he didn't say crowns this time. He called it diadems this time because most of the crowns we've seen up to this point have been called Stephanus. That's the, the victory crowns. That's a laurel that you get when you win a race. This is not about victory. This is not about winning. This is about ruling. This is about authority. When a diadem is on your head, it's authority. And he's got seven heads and seven crowns. He's got 10 horns that go with him. Those seven diadems on his head. Uh, We're going to see as we come across this again, and we will, um, that those seven heads represent seven great kingdoms there have been. When we get to chapter 17, we'll talk about that. The seven great kingdoms there have been from Babylon all the way through Rome, And it's those seven kingdoms. And there's one more kingdom yet to go. And that'll be that restored Roman kingdom, all right, that Roman empire that's yet to come. He's the one in charge of all the nations. Everybody follow that? You you need to know this because this is so critical. If you you miss this, you're going to think that everything in this life is about people. It isn't. Everything in life is about the conflict that goes on between God an angelic host and people. That's this whole conflict, kids. It's big. It's cosmos. It's cosmic. It's, it's a huge struggle that's going on here, all right? So he's got these seven heads and 10 horns, which once again, we'll come to a little more about that when we get to 17. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Well, he apparently now... Um, He's looking at this woman, and he wants to devour her. Let's see if we can find the. And the dragon stood before the woman in verse 4. Uh, the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. So here's his description. He's identified as the devil and Satan, and he has a great fear of the seed of the woman. Why do I say that? Genesis 3.15 was the one that talked about the seed of the woman is going to do what? Bruise his head. You're going to bruise his heel. So he wants to devour that child. If he can devour that child before the child has a chance to grow up, then he's got a good chance that he'll have no opposition to his rule, and he will have defeated God. So he's going to stand there ready to devour that child. So he has a fear of the seed of the woman. And then he recruits those to assist him. So with his tail, he drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Now, um, let's get get some timing in this one, okay? Because I know we're covering a huge period of time here. When does he throw these down? Notice it's before the child is born. That's when he's throwing them down. It's not back here when he falls. Back when he falls, he's recruiting people to be on his team, but he's not in charge of anybody yet. He hasn't got anybody yet. It's not until he starts finding out there's going to be a child born sometime that he starts looking for the child to be born. He starts waiting to see when is that child going to be born. And now, once he sees it's about time for that child to be born, he's ready to recruit those to help him. So he sends all of those, if I can say these, angels that were with him to the earth to stop that child. That's to the whole earth. So that means he's going to be a part of every nation on the earth. There's going to be angels that are ministering in every nation on the earth. But they're also going to be there to assist him in devouring that child. There are going to be a host of evil spirits, a host of things called demons that are released at the same time. Those demons are going to assist him in that they are going to start inhabiting people at the time of Jesus' ministry. When Jesus comes, it had never been heard of before that one person could cast a demon out of someone. You just assume that the demons are going to be there. Were there exorcists? exorcists? Yes, there had been, but they were not successful. No one had ever been able to cast out demons from spirits or from people, yet Jesus is going to, and they got there at the time before he was born. All right? So let me go on a little further with you here. He goes on to tell us that the child was born. She bore a male child, verse 5 says, who ruled all the nations with a rod of iron. Her child was caught up to God and his throne. Now, he's going to say caught up to God and his throne because everybody is sort of caught up to God when they die, right? You're caught up. But not to the throne. By saying caught up to the throne, he's saying this is how he's going to rule. He is the ruler, and he's being caught up to that throne as well. This word "caught up" is the same word we use for rapture. This means to be snatched, picked up, grabbed out before anything can be done. You're picked up, you're grabbed out of it. So he was caught up to God. So his ascension was seen as the being caught up to God. All right. So he's caught up to God unto his throne. Now, I want you to notice. No mention of the dragon's success with his murder of the child. There's no direct mention of his resurrection, but of his ascension to God and to the throne of that total cosmic authority. I want you to look with me again. Let's look at verse 5 again. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But the uh, the child was crucified on a cross and died and was uh, uh, carried back out of there, resurrected. You see any of that there? because it's not there. There's no mention of his dying for anyone. There's a mention only of being caught up to God. Why? His death was critical, was it not? It's an important part of the salvation and redemption of it all, but he's not wanting to concern himself with that. He's wanting to see this. This is the authority of who this child was. This child was such an authority, he was caught up to God. He was so pleasing to God, he was caught up to God and to his throne. So God's bringing him out of this life he was in, and he's taking him, putting him on the throne of Almighty God. So reiterating, you've got all this history right here where you have Israel being prepared, being prepared, being prepared, Then, when the time is right, she is now going to have a child. The child is born. The child then is, we know, crucified, raised again, but we caught up to God and to his throne, and that's where this, this one leaves us. Then it's going to take another gap in time and move us up to here and say, and she fled to the wilderness where she's kept for 1,260 days. She's kept for three and a half years safe after her child is caught up and all that. So we've got a, a, a span of time here. We'll talk about that in a little while as well. Well, hang on with me, all right? Let's go to the second act. The war of the boot and the tantrum. The war of the boot and the tantrum. Look at verse 7. The war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. All right, now, let's follow through with this one. A lot of times when people are talking about um, Satan, here is the way Satan operated. Ezekiel 28 tells us he was the cherub that covered He was the closest one to the throne of God. So he's the one that's shielding the the people from seeing God. So he's the uh, cherub that covers. He's over this whole thing. When sin is found in his heart, he's removed from that position. But he's not cast out of heaven. He's removed from that position, and he assumes a position on earth because of his temptation of man and man's willingness to give in to him everybody see that so he's not cast out of heaven he's matter of fact he's going to remain in heaven accusing the brethren day and night he just can't be the covering carob anymore he's lost his position with god everybody with me on this So now that he's lost that position and he still has the right to come back and talk to God and accuse God. Matter of fact, you remember in the book of Job, he comes back. He has to give an account of himself to God. Where you been traveling up and down the face of the earth? Why? Because that's where he's got his habitation. In the New Testament, he's known as the prince of the power of the air. He's known as the God of this age because he's in charge of the nations of the earth. Now, I'll take this back again so nobody trips themselves up. But when this war breaks out, he is now cast out of heaven. He's not going to accuse anyone anymore. Why? Because his time is up. He's had all of this time from the time of the beginning up to right in here. Matter of fact, if I can take this little time right here and zip it up, put it over here, now I'm back to the seven years. This thing is happening in the middle of the tribulation. That's when he falls from heaven. That's when he loses the war. Turn with me just for a moment to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Here, Daniel chapter 11 has been talking about this king that's been conquering the land. And this king that conquers the land, it says, uh, he he comes in, uh, let's pick up with 1145, 1145. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. So he's going to be, he's in the promised land right now. So the last thing... Satan's um, emissary, the Antichrist, is going to do is come in and inhabit Israel. Now watch what happens. Chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Now, let's take a look at what it said here. Michael shall stand up the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. So in other words, he's the guardian angel of Israel. This is Michael the archangel. And Michael the archangel is standing up just as this antichrist has now come in and declared himself to be God. Once he's declared himself to be God, Michael stands up and now there's a war. Michael and all his angels are fighting against uh, Satan and all of his angels I'd like to see that war wouldn't you that's amazing to me I, I don't think we've got any computer generated things that can come up with a war like this one this is going to be some fantastic war I don't know how you uh, injure or wound an angel uh, years ago Frank Peretti wrote a, a series of books called this present darkness and he had angels fighting back and forth and that sort of thing great stuff um, fictional but great stuff That's the war that's going to go on there. And Satan this time does not win. He is cast down from that. And when he's cast down, he is coming down to be in the Antichrist. He's going to take over the Antichrist. The Antichrist now is just uh, more or less a shell. He is now fully occupied by this one this dragon with the seven heads and all of that all right so Michael standing up he's going to take care of him at that time and there he's going to take care of Israel so it's Michael who's going to take care of Israel so let's go back to Revelation 12 once again It says in verse seven, the war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called devil and the Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth. His angels were cast out with him and he's coming down in a rage. Now watch what it says here. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. So let's get the picture. As long as he was in heaven, as long as he was able to get to the throne, he could accuse the brethren day and night, and the brethren were usually wrong. There was good reason to accuse the brethren. He accuses us of doing things the wrong way. That's why you have an advocate in heaven. That's why you have an attorney in heaven. Have you ever said, I'm going to the store. I'm going to go outside and do this. Next year, we're going to do this. You ever said anything like that? Did you realize you're declaring your sovereignty? Did you realize you're saying what a cool guy you are, that you know exactly what you're going to be able to do in the next 20 minutes? Do you realize that when you're making those statements, you, th- you are showing yourself to be in charge of your entire schedule? Let me ask you something. Did you know you're not? That's why James told us, don't say this year, next year we'll do thus and such. You say it this way, Lord willing, we'll do thus and such. If the Lord keeps me alive, I'll do such and such. My plan is to do this, but God can change my plans. Do you realize how easy it is for an adversary just simply stand up and say, I want to declare the sovereignty of Doug White. He believes himself to be God. He now just declared that he's going to do thus and such. He's going to go to Israel. He's going to do what? I declared that, and he is wrong. He has defied the mighty God. He's right. I did, and I didn't even think to say, Lord willing. I didn't even stop to think, I'm really not in charge of things. I did exactly what I wanted to do, assuming that I'm boss, What would I have to be able to say to him who makes such a statement to me? Who accuses me of that? Zero. I just have to say, I did. Until your advocate, until your defense attorney stands up and says, Father, this is mine. I've paid for him. What he did was wrong. I paid for that. And the father says, not guilty. That's what it means to have an accuser day and night. When he's cast down kids, there's nobody to say that anymore. <laughs> nobody to say that anymore. Can you see why heaven's going to go, yes, yes, yes? <laughs> he's gone. We had to listen to this tribe all the time. We had to listen to this madness, and now God has finally stood up and God has booted him out. He's gone. Rejoice, heavens. And then, woe to you on earth. Because he's coming down mad, and he's planning to take some people out. He's going after Israel, first of all now do you understand why it said, when you see this abomination of desolation take place, if you are in Jerusalem, get out, don't pack, don't go back to see where anybody else is, get out of there. Why? Because he's coming down with great rage and he's ready to take out any of God's believing family that's found in Jerusalem. He's going to be searching all over the earth to find anybody who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. That's what this rage is about. The dragon loses, letter B in your outline, and with his angels is banished from heaven, rejoicing in heaven, warning on earth. So you've got this warning coming up. Let's look at letter C. He says that the, how they overcame him. It says, uh, "Let's see. Uh, now salvation is strength in the kingdom of our God. Verse ten: the Kingdom of Christ have come. The accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, and been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Kids, do you hear what that just said? How did they overcome him? By being good people, by voting the right way, by making sure they stood for the right principles." No. They overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. When it comes right down to this, kids, here's the last thing you got left. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what you got left. That's your plea. You can't plead, but I've been a pretty good old guy. I've been really trying hard. No, that's not what ever saved you, it's not what lost you. What has saved you has been your testimony of faith in Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. He had to make it that way, kids, or he would have no one with him. He had to do that himself. He had to be your salvation or you wouldn't be saved. All right. Letter D, you have one mad defeated dragon. He's full of rage, and he takes it out on the woman he didn't defeat earlier. Look, it says, verse 13, And when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times and a half time. That's three and a half years, that's the same as 1,260 days, from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ." Right here at that point, verse 17, is the outcome of, or is what started Matthew 25, where Jesus Christ has the judgment of the nations, goats on one side, sheep on the other. And those nations that get judged, they're judged because of their care for his brethren, for his care for Israel, who was fleeing from this rage right here. More about that another time. Today, let's make sure of this. Make sure that it's Jesus you're trusting in. Not in anything else. Not in what you think you know. Not in how good you are. Not in any other thing but this one thing. Christ died for you. That's the blood of, his, of, blood of who he is. The testimony is he's the son of God. He is risen from the dead. That's your testimony. That's what saves you. Nothing else, kids. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his goodness to us. Thank you for watching over us in the way that you do every day. I ask, Father, for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll open our hearts to the truth of the word of God and give us serious bones, Father, that we think through what exactly is going on in our world and how we need to live in this world. Remove from his Father any careless thoughts that really don't accomplish a thing, just vain. And I want to thank you for what you're going to do and the
0: way you're going to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's Church, edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.